0: you. Mm-hmm. to another episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm Larry Mishkin, joined again, as always, by my co-host, Rob Hunt of Linay Holdings out in lovely
1: San Diego. Rob, how are you today? Fantastic. And it sounds like you, uh, you just cooked up a little bit of the intro of um, the, I want to say, 9483 from uh, from Park West, uh, the beginning of the fire. Is that right, Larry? I think you've got that spot on, my friend, and it's
0: a, uh, it's a great show that we're going to feature today. We've got a lot of really, really interesting uh, topics to talk about. I've got some reviews of the Sacred Rose Festival that, uh, uh, again, uh, actually concluded uh, about a week ago by the time you hear this, but from my perspective just a few days ago, throwing a quick uh, shout out to our good friends at Conscience Alliance and a bunch of other stuff, uh, but we want to dive right in because we have a very exciting guest with us today, uh, my good buddy Larry Vanoker, who's a uh, an old-time deadhead and uh, was... Uh, Always the center part of the group Uh, back in the days when I was just getting on the bus and he was a little bit like the bus driver for us, answered all the stupid questions and, you know, told me all the stories so I could turn around and act like I knew him all myself. Larry, great to have you here, man. So good to see you. How are you?
2: I'm great, Larry. It's good to be here. If I didn't know it, if I didn't know it, I just made it up. Anyway.
0: That's so I I fully anticipated that half the time anyway. But the funny part is now that we can all go back and check everything electronically, it looks like you were right. Actually, pretty good percentage of the time. So and you know what, dude, nobody can ever take away from you ever that China doll call from the third floor men's room at the Philly Civic Center in 1984. So you always got that going for you.
2: This is true. That was the uh, Jerry uh, get lost during the do. We just—we're in the fourth row. <laughs> could—he's he, looking right at me. And in, in the in the second verse of the dude just sang a different line from every verse. And he like looked up, and he was just like completely lost. You could see it in his face—just nowhere, making it
0: up. Okay, well, I'm sure it's fair to say you've seen enough. Uh, Thirty seconds of background on Larry Van Oker, good buddy of mine from the University of Michigan. Uh, Larry has the distinct honor of being one of those people who can say that he has seen at least one year's worth of Grateful Dead shows. Oh no,
2: I, I was just shy. Three fifty-six with Jerry. If, if you count Jerry bands, I made it. But without Jerry band, it was Grateful Dead was three fifty-six.
0: Okay, fine. So I, I like to say you year anyway. It's close enough. If people want to argue about it, let them argue. But suffice it to say that it's a good number of shows that he brings a very interesting perspective to all of this. And um, what can you tell us what, like initially about this show at, uh, uh, in Utah at the Park West Gary? I mean, this is unlike anything they've done, right? There's no seats, there's no nothing. Give us the layout.
2: All right. So I can tell you that I was on tour with my good buddy, Cameron Farquhar. Rest in peace, Cameron. Died a few years back, which I just found out like 10 years after he died or something. But uh, he was him and his friend Dano, and we were camping everywhere and driving, and we met up with another car, this other guy, Tim. We got pulled over on the way over. Tim could not recite the alphabet and almost got thrown in jail. He was skipping letters without singing. I I couldn't believe it either. It's like F-H-L. I was like, really, dude? Um, We got inside. I'm not sure. If we had to buy tickets at the show or we got them somehow before, those were the days pre-mail order. Or no, 80, 80, 83, yeah. I think the first mail order was like tour, summer tour 84. So it was kind of a deal to get tickets. I remember calling places like, it doesn't sell out, you know, like the Grateful Dead. Like when I did my homework all summer, would call the places <laughs> direct. Uh, anyway, this was, you. it was a ski hill. Like basically the ski mountain at Park City and uh, or whatever it is, Park City West and you walked up and then I looked down at the stage and they set up they did their setup between the two humps of the lodge it was a flat wood deck i guess they probably purposely left down any sort of backdrop because you could just see right behind them and it was nothing but mountains and like the valley from the from the ski lift it was gorgeous and uh I later bought a picture that i had on my table as you would know in glass and a thing and uh it was the, the whole band and the look. And, um, yeah, it was a killer show. You know, they were playing really good in 83. We did the whole Eugene thing on that tour. That was pretty killer at the Holt Center, which was tiny. And then Boise. Oh, my God, there was such a good story about the cops in Boise in the parking lot. Um, they covered, They got out of their car to chase after a vendor. And, uh, they, and like, two. So this deadhead went running by me with two bumper stickers open in his hand. And, uh, and so he ran up to the cop car. One was I break for hallucinations and the other was uh, trouble ahead. I think Jerry and red or, uh, one of those, you know, classical and he slapped him on the back of the cop car. And in like a series of 10 minutes, every vendor that had stickers just covered the cop car head to toe, like windows, everything in stickers. And so then while they were off chasing a guy selling shirts, they came walking back. They realized there's a whole crowd around their car. They're like, "What the hell?" They pull through everybody. and They see their car discovered <laughs> Kind of had to slink in, and I don't know what they did. Like, there's no way they went back to the station and brought the car. And they had to go somewhere and scrape them all
0: off. And just uh,
2: put, and then the Park City show, which we uh, the guy didn't get thrown in jail. We got to the thing. We looked at the ski hill, and there was the no thing. And the list was pretty killer, as you you know, the Bertha was awesome, the promised land. The, you know, I used to say we'd always, we could create, recreate any dead list if there were, definitely if there were three of us that had been at the show, and we'd do pretty good if there were two of us.
1: So I've actually been to that venue a lot, because I moved out to Utah in uh, 1990 for college. My first job in Utah was working at the Park West Ski Resort before it got bought, before it became Wolf Mountain, and since it's become the Canyons. And now that mountain, you know, the, where that venue was, is long gone. They've completely, you know, com- built a, a a village down there. But there used to be killer shows there all the time, and that was such a great spot. And you just described it perfectly. But you know, you would be um, sort of sitting up instead of like you know the way a lawn at, the sh- at a shed is. It was just the natural, you know, bottom of the ski hill. That was the uh, that was the venue lawn. So you had a little flat spot right before the uh, the lodge, and the, the basically the stage was right where the lodge was. And, uh and then the natural ski hill just would go up and it was a gently sloping you know uh green trail that was where you'd uh, where you'd hang out and it was great i mean i saw a horde tour there i've seen like dave matthews there i've seen a bunch of bands there i want say i might have even seen um no nah, didn't see fish there see you know, probably 25 30 shows there but it's it, it's a great venue or it was a great venue it's you know kind of sad that it's no longer there
2: oh yeah yeah I, I, what was the dead the dead might have been the first show they had there even because it didn't seem didn't seem like they had it two together we got in and People were like, you know, there are other people who are like, I need a ticket. I was like, well, just walk way up the hill and come down the other way because you, know, you can kind of see. Like, I'm looking from the bottom. And I'm like, because you'd see the whatever they had on the sides of the hill. I was like, there has got to be a way through the woods. Like, if you just go that way, and you could get there. But uh, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. J- Jim Richmond, uh, one of my good friends from college, he he was like, he would make tickets like you you couldn't believe. He'd like. He, he matched the thickness, and exacto knife, and glue the stuff together. And just it, it, they were unbe- they were unbelievable. Yeah, I look, I was like Jim, really? He's like, yeah, I'm like fuck. Anyway, I shouldn't have used his last name, but Jim R, whatever. Uh, you
1: know, yeah, if they come fine, I'm like, uh, the, the statute of limitations is long since run, man. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, trust me, I've. I've met members of the Grateful Dead organization and told them I used to counterfeit their tickets all the time. I mean, I, I probably walked myself into you know over a hundred shows that I made the tickets for. So it's uh, you know if, if you could do it, you know, have at it. I always figured that I would kind of appreciate the effort. <laughs> right?
2: Yeah, I got I got busted with bootleg shirts at Brendan Byrne, and they were I avoided like they had a they had a court in the venue, and somehow they're like the judge isn't here today, but you got to come back tomorrow. I was like, where? He's like, right here to see the judge, and I never did it. And they kicked me out for life, but I, and they're like, and it's the band, man. They don't want people selling bootleg shirts at each and throw, And they like just berated me for a while. I think I think I missed the first three songs until I got out, and then the next years I went, I was all paranoid like that. Every time it's scary, I was like, they they bust out the, the polaroids which I, they had of me, and they look for these people. They you kick them out when you find them, and they like stop in my row. I was like, shit, they're looking <laughs> me. It's ridiculous.
0: That's too funny. I mean, this year when we were at Red Rocks for Tedesky Treks, when I saw the debt at Red Rocks in 84, they weren't allowing vending. And now in 2022, they're still not allowing vending. And I was with a buddy, our good friend Tommy, and we pulled up in Red Rocks. They said, No vending. We said, Yeah, we got out of the car. He opened the trunk. He had a bunch of homemade t shirts in the back. He hadn't even pulled one out yet. And these guys come flying up on a golf cart. Are you vending? You can't be. No, 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 sir. We're not vending. This is just our supplies for while we're trying. No vending. We're going to keep an eye on you now. Okay. Like this place. Is supposed to be cool. How the hell are they doing that here?
2: Yeah, it was crazy. I remember it was so hard. I, I summer '82 was the first year I was selling shirts, and everybody started selling shirts. And my friend Jamie, her and her friend Tom, uh, big beard guy, Red Wolf or whatever, he, uh, he they were they were selling sandwiches, and they fucking cleaned up. It was like the, it was the crazy. I was like, oh, that's so brilliant. They go. They go to a a city. They go to the supermarket. They spend forty dollars on groceries. No one else was selling food. They do like bagels one day, peanut butter and jelly another day, what whatever was they felt like, and they put them in bags and then sell them all. They'd sell everything in like twenty minutes, and then they'd buy their tickets and go into the show. It's like that's a much better
0: deal. Like there are millions of us trying to sell
2: shirts in that. It got worse
0: and worse. Right. Anyway, crazy. So tell us more about this show. How was the sound out there?
2: The sound was really good, surprisingly. And uh, I mean, just because you're outdoor like that. And um, the, um, the Bertha Greatest, or Bertha Promised Land, right? Was it? I gotta look at the list. Bertha Promised Land was awesome. The Friend of the Devil yeah. was, of course, everyone spent the night in Utah. There was a really killer, not a shirt from behind the venue. I think it was a bootleg shirt outside that I had for years that, if anybody has one in an extra large, I would certainly love to buy it again. I don't know what happened to mine. But it was like a Mormon skeleton blowing like a big long horn with the flags hanging off of it and a circle. And it said spent the night in Utah with the dates and Park City West and stuff on I mean, it. It was cultured. And then um, first set, the China, China Rider they closed with was killer. And then the Scarlet Fire was like 30 minutes long. I think it seemed it was a long time in the second set. Oh and there was like a Spanish jam or whatever, right? That was one of the first one of those I saw. I think that I remember or not, I don't know.
0: So let me ask you though, you've certainly seen enough shows to qualify how many times, you know, would you see a show where the Dead would close out the first set with like, like a China rider and come back and open up the next set? you know, with the Scarlet Fire, and put those back-to-back, basically? Uh,
2: You know, I I would say, maybe sometimes, did they ever do the reverse Scarlet Fire, China Rider? I think, you know, and then I'm trying to remember if there was like a, you know, somewhere they did did those four before the drums or something in the second set. I think I might have seen all those combinations kind of like that. I have vague, vague recollections, but I need to call Alex. To...
0: Alex, right. Another another guy who knows Alex, Rob. But I can tell you, I've, I saw a further show in Chicago where they did just that. They closed out the first set with China Rider, second set open with Scarlet Fire, and they closed the show with Help Slip Frank. And so they, they squeezed all three of them in there. And when we saw, remember, we saw further at the Mill Valley Inn a, a few years back with Alex and Mike and others. And, and that night, they threw a whole bunch. They closed out the show with Scarlet Fire, I think, after they had already done a China Rider, And maybe a help slip, Frank. Were
2: you there at the time that uh, Dickie Betts was playing the fair and he came out at Mill Valley with them?
0: No, I did not see Dickie Betts, unfortunately. I saw some great further shows, but no Dickie Betts. That was
2: pretty killer. I, I was I was thinking about some stuff the other night. There was some crazy, crazy stuff. I was just like, oh, yeah, I did see that. That did happen. Um, but, yeah, Dickie Betts played with them one night at uh, as further at um, the little place. He was playing like the Mill Valley State Fair or something.
0: And he just happened to be there, so he dropped in with the boys. That would have been fun to see. Yeah, it was good, too. I forget what they played. Did they play Ramblin' Man or – um I, I remember you know, being over at Alex and Andy's house, and they have a picture of Jerry with Elvis Costello, and I think that might have been from uh, Mill Valley also
2: oh uh, that's that's from yeah, that's Jay took that picture that's from uh the the Sweetwater before the revision of the Sweetwater, yeah, I wasn't I missed I miss that show. I think Jay's
0: the only one that made it to that show, uh, speaking of Jay just saw him uh this past weekend at Sacred Rose it's incredible i mean first of all you look up on the stage of like the phil show and some of the other, he's the only guy up there he's like the exclusive photographer he's running around the whole time stays just out of the way but if you know to look for him you can see him and then when we saw him later walking around cuz he has his own tent by the way with all of his photos for sale we bumped into him in the middle of the the the, the fairgrounds or whatever and there's People running up to him, can I take my picture with you? Will you please take my picture he's like he 's a celebrity it 's the funniest thing in the world, and he just handles it you know very matter of factly and everything and he 's very cool about it and but you know to me it 's just wonderful because it 's just a, a statement of his success, right and you know I mean I, I know Alex and Andy see him quite a bit. I know you know him too, and you know that's that 's just a cool guy to know he he 's in on everything over there, and uh, he 's been a guest on the show a couple of times, and he 's just about probably due back, I think Rob.
2: Yeah, he's he's been he's been to more shows than I have out of our group. I think it's him and the, him, then me, and then Alex, I guess, and then maybe you, Larry. Well,
0: that's what I was going to say. I know Alex was in so he. How far behind you did he ultimately finish?
2: I don't remember. I know it's uh, uh, it's a few, maybe twenty or something. I don't, I don't know the difference.
0: Okay. Well, that's okay. We'll dedicate this show then to Alex, who finished 20, song, 20 shows behind Larry in the in the all time count. Better luck next time, man. I don't
2: know. We'd have to run in Song Tracker. I don't have it. Song so. Tracker.
0: <laughs> See, it, for for those of you who don't know what Song Tracker is, it was a uh, it was a software, a Grateful Dead cataloging software that Larry and Alex and a few other guys threw together back in the, the early nineties. And you know, you could take it and it eventually, what it, well, it had the database of, of the set list of just about every show, didn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, Alex, I don't want to say we stole base, but we found set lists and we put them all in. And then every year we would do an update and then you could tag whatever shows you were at. And then you could run stats between any set of dates. Our programming third partner was this guy, Tim, who was just a brilliant, like, um, I don't know. We did it in Fox. One of those, one of those computer database programs.
0: It would tell me how many times I saw a song, how many times I saw saw a song open a show, if it opened the second set, if they closed the show.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did that whole, you know, at the end of the year where they put the five most openers, closers, into the drums, out of the drums, encore set closers. We had that report. We had any song. And you could do it for the whole run of the database or for your shows in the database or this year or last year you put in the dates. It it had a great interface. (laughs) And so you come home from a show, you're like... What was the last time I saw it? it was three keystrokes you knew. Yeah, that was good.
0: Boom. As I recall, it came on one of those eight big eight inch floppy discs. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. It was the days of yeah, the the fat floppy. We think we then had it on
0: the little ones. And, yeah. Okay. So, but maybe Tim still has the program somewhere. Oh, I,
2: I, Alex, I, I don't think any of us, He, Tim, we, everyone's like, you got it in Mac, you got it in Mac, because we were like computer geek guys, like we worked in the industry back then. So we all had IBMs, and all the all the deadheads were Mac. So we finally ported, we used carry, ported it over to uh, uh, Mac for us, and then no one bought it. And then uh, yeah, it kind of died. But
0: uh, Oh, well. You gave it your best effort. I used to hawk for you on the floor of the shows that during intermission where the, you'd send out the little flyers that had, you know, the five songs they played two nights ago and then, the, you know, whatever, and then a place for people to keep their own set list. Right.
2: Yeah, yeah. We 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 took over the uh, those Mikiel stickers or flyers or whoever that guy was. I think he died or something, and then no one was hanging right. out, like, the tour set list or whatever it was. So we started – Handing that out with an ad for that.
1: That was good stuff. Yeah, it was uh, Dupree's, Dupree's Diamond News that did for a long time. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's John Dwork or whatever. That was his newsletter. But it was a good way to write off going to Great with Dead
0: shows, kind of. Oh, God. well, now I do it all the time. I, but, and at some point,
2: they don't let you continue to write it off anymore. if you.
0: I was at Sacred Rose all weekend. As far as I'm concerned, that's a business expense because I'm going to be talking about it here in a few minutes, man. You know, if, if, I, if I have to talk about it, and Larry, I, you know, Maybe I can find a new account, but my account I think, seems to say it's okay to take deductions on my, my <laughs> weed purchases because I'm a weed attorney, right? So you got to fucking know what's going on with that stuff, too.
2: T.P. Kurt, unbelievable there. If he...
0: Absolutely. Hey, let's go back to another uh, song from this show, Dan. What else do you have for us today? Brother Esau holds a
1: blessing. Brother Esau holds a curse. I would say the blame is mine. I something worse. Both our hands,
2: Shadow Box in the Apocalypse,
0: Water the Box in the Apocalypse.
1: Little Bobby tune there, huh? Yeah, I picked that one out because uh, I mean, look, they, they just introduced that in late '82, I think, is when uh, when we're and um, and Barlow wrote that tune, and you know, there's a there's a lot of sort of controversy about the uh, the lyrics in that song, as far as you know, like it's it's, it's very rare that they were political. You know, throwing stones would be you know somewhat political, but um, Brother Esau is, is in many ways kind of like an homage to the uh, the Vietnam War and kind of uh, what uh, Barlow's take on that was, and there's also you know a lot of belief that. The opening line of you know, Brother Esau Killed a Hunter back in 1969 is, a, uh, is sort of a call out to Meredith Hunter from Altamont. Uh, you know getting killed there so um, a lot of interesting uh, lyrics to that tune and it's one that you know when I think about the mid-80s like we, we, we've we never covered an 83 song or an 83 show on this um, at least as long as you and I have been doing this together Larry like we we talk about 85 we talk about 81 like the early days of, uh, of Brent but 83 is kind of like a, a lost year for a lot of people and it's such a hot year like the, the summer tour I mean obviously like uh, Larry you were on the whole tour you know so you can you can speak more confidently than I can but you know 83, I think there was, like, especially this run, you know, from Boise to Park West to Red Rocks to the Downs of Santa Fe, there was, like, seven or eight shows, like, bam, 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 that just crushed, right? And Esau was, like, a major part of that kind of, you know, mid to late 83, where he was really, you know, starting to play that song quite a bit. And I think, what, Esau only got played for nine years, ten years total. So uh, so I figured, you know, yeah, we never, we've never, we never covered Esau before, so I figured I'd throw it on there.
2: Let's just say, I think it came out in the spring, uh, spring tour, on the East Coast and they played it every night. It was the one song like every night they played it.
0: So you got to hear it a lot.
2: <laughs> oh my God, over and over again.
0: Well, here, uh, you, you can appreciate this. In 83, uh, uh, I did an overnight road trip with Stefano, Tommy, um, Poe, and a few others. And right after the Michigan Theater Party, we all hopped in Tommy's uh, Volkswagen and we drove to Morgantown, West Virginia for a show there. And it was, you know, only my third or fourth show and they played this song and the entire drive home, Stefano and Supo were debating the meaning of the song. And I'm like, oh, man, (laughs) let's let's talk about something else. I mean, whatever. It's kind of a heavy song. I get it. But, you know, hey, we heard Uncle John's band wasn't that great. Well, but I think what Hunter or what Barlow was really trying to say. And then, you know, where else we talked about it in Buzz Alexander's class.
2: Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
0: Vietnam and the Artist.
2: Vietnam and the Artist. That's yeah. right.
0: Wow. Although, the, but we did dumb throwing stones for our project, where we had to try and figure out all the lyrics because you couldn't turn on your computer and get all the lyrics. So we sat in Larry's house one night late into the night, getting stoned and listening to the song over and over, trying to get all of the lyrics. And there were some words we couldn't get, and you ultimately went
1: to Jim Richmond for for the words. Yeah. Well, I mean, like Rudy's is a is a tough one, right? You know, Rudy's looking for a fight, and that's that's one of those ones that until I understood more about reggae and about Scott, like I had no idea what a Rudy was, right?
2: You don't understand. All my friends, all my friends called each other Rudy, so it was the weirdest thing. It was like they were talking to us. Like I have four different friends who point their finger at each other and say, "You're the rudest." No, you're the rudest, and so then they became Rudies for some reason, and everybody was a Rudy, and then. That was in the band we
0: followed, all the songs we listened to. So <laughs> That's too crazy. But, uh, yeah, you know, look, it, it was just another one of those tunes that I eventually ran its course, right? I guess Bobby got tired of singing it. It never got the largest crowd responses. I mean, I think people appreciated it for what it was, but, you know, after a while, you got to move on to bigger and better
1: things. Yeah, I figured uh, it's rarely we got a chance to, to to feature it, right? So I figured I'd throw it on there for once and uh, give it a quick little uh, shout-out. But um, before we get back in the show, Larry, you were at Sacred Rose this weekend. There's some, there's some pretty hot music there this weekend. So you want to tell us just a, a quick synopsis of, you know, like, how was Goose? How was Humphreys? How- so here we go. Saturday night or Friday night, we got
0: there primarily to see Phil. We got just in time to see the very end of the St. Paul and the Broken Bones set. Never seen them before. You know, decent enough music. I was happy to hear it. But then we went over to the stage for Phil. And I got to tell you, man, it, it was a great show. He had... Um, Jeff Tweedy and Nels Klein. And this was, so It's billed as, uh, as Philco, right? Instead so Wilco because of Tweedy. Philco, yes. right. But also Carl Denson, uh, Margot Price came out to sing. I, I I couldn't even keep track of everybody who was on the stage at, at one point. Kamenti was up there. John Molo was up there. Uh, Stu Allen was up there and uh, the setless was strong. The, the, the tunes were great. They came right out of the box with a dire wolf with Tweedy doing the lead vocals on it. And I mean, he was perfect. That's exactly the kind of singer, you know, that Jeff Tweedy is right. He sings. He sings those kind of tunes, uh, you know, story tunes that just kind of play themselves out. And uh, uh, it was great. And then a a Phil Standard doing that rag, which was nice, although it was interesting because normally when he does it with Phil and Friends, he's got Baracko to sing the lyrics. And this time I think he had uh, Stu Allen doing it. A couple of Wilco tunes were thrown in there. They came back. They did U.S. Blues again with Tweedy singing. The second set opened with a shakedown. Uh, with Carl Denson singing, and then the number we had all been waiting for, about a 15-minute Viola Lee blues jam that was well worth the price of admission. uh, Anytime, Pride of Cucamonga, and yes, I explained to everybody how I embarrassingly said on our show that Phil had played it with the dead before, when in fact he hadn't, but now I have actually seen him play it, so I can say that I saw Phil play Pride of Cucamonga, Uh, New Speedway Boogie, uh, another Wilco tune, and then they closed out with Franklin's with uh Tweety again doing the lead uh the lyrics on that and and some just some really hot playing all around uh, pretty much the standard ripple encore uh but it was a really good uh, uh three and a half hour show with a uh, with with a reasonable timed intermission in between and um was just so great uh phil sang pride of Cucamonga and that was it for him on the vocals Uh, but his bass playing was amazing i I can't remember the last time i saw a performance with phil in it where his bass was featured so heavily in the mix it just all night long you could just feel phil's bass booming out from the stage and it was great uh sent everybody home with a smile Uh, i have to say getting in and out all three days was really not a pain at all no major traffic jams all went very smoothly the second day, though, was the uh, was the new day for me seeing everybody. We got out there and I caught um, Corey Wong for the first time, Umphries for the first time, Goose for the first time. Uh, oh, Disco Biscuits. So the Disco Biscuits, too. And, you know, these are all bands that I had heard of that people had talked about and had been telling me forever that I should go to see. I had never seen any of them. And it came away very positive for all of them. I, I really like Disco Biscuits, but it was explained to me by a buddy of mine uh, who was there um, who has seen uh, all of these bands uh, anyone, and a large number of times and uh, kind of knows them all. My good friend Joel, the tax accountant for Ripple Tax, and he's sitting there explaining to me Disco Biscuits. He's like, look, this is a great sound, but it's really good at two o'clock in the morning as an after show. You know, you come see them late at night after you've been partying all night, seeing the dead or whoever, and then you roll into a disco biscuit show and they jam you till three or four in the morning and you just have a good time. And And, and they were fine. I really liked their sound quite a bit. Umphreys was, uh, uh, look, I've heard about Umphreys forever and, and you know, I get it for some people. They love them; Other people, not so much. Uh, I'd see him again. I thought I I only saw one set, but it was a very solid set. uh, They they had a lot of good jamming in, but it was jamming with it. It seemed like it had just a little bit of prog rock influence, but they they, they played very well. It was very, very tight. And I would have liked to have seen uh, the whole show. Corey Wong, uh, boy, he's something else. I didn't really know Corey very well. I just heard his music. Uh, my my son's friend, Kevin, turned me on to it. When we were uh, heading up to see fish at uh, at Alpine Valley a couple of weeks ago. But that Corey Wong man, he is just a guitar monster. He's he's not a big guy, and when he starts wailing on that guitar, it's really something. I was I just could not have been more impressed with him, and uh, and everything he brought to the table. And then finally, you know, it was time for uh, for Goose. And, uh, you know, this is this is why I was there. Uh, I've heard everything about Goose. I've seen a couple of their clips. I've heard all sorts of stuff, but you have to see them for yourself. Uh, and they came out, and they did not disappoint. Um, they were solid, heavy core rocking from beginning to end. Um, they have a very, very interesting group of musicians up on the stage. Some interesting personalities that have just kind of, you know, uh, worked together in a way that uh, produces a really, really good, clean, solid jam band sound. Um, and they're definitely a band I would like to hear more uh, and have a, an opportunity uh, to see where they go. They they did do uh, one cover. Um, they did a great cover, and I'll say this, and then I'll correct myself of the band's "Don't You Do It," um, which is a tune I love. And they started playing it. And we were all over it right away, so excited they were playing it. And uh, one of my buddies who was there, who kept checking the songs on their own set list, came back five minutes later and said, "Guys, this is not a tune by the band." Like, what do you mean? It's not a tune by the band. The band plays this. It was at uh, the last waltz. So, although actually, I think they cut it off of the last waltz. But they had it on other albums. And nope, don't you do it was written by Marvin Gaye. Written and recorded by Marvin Gaye in 1964. I did not know that. I did not know that. Um, Actually, I'll just give credit straight up to Alex because he was the one who who discovered that and dug that little tidbit out. And uh, there you go learning something new all the time. Uh, But I thought for sure that was a band tune. Um, But it was a Marvin Gaye tune that the band covered and uh, Goose did a great job of it. Uh, their set probably wasn't quite as long as we would have liked, but I think the, the the they were having a little bit of trouble scheduling their sets and Umphreys was waiting really to come on for its second set and they were at the stage one over. So they, 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 they had Goose shut it down a few minutes early so that Umphreys could play a full second set. But by that point we were gone and we had had enough. Now we go back on Sunday and Look, I'm not going to lie to you, we're 60 years old. We were not showing up at 12 noon, you know, like the younger kids for the uh, for the full day of music, and I missed a large number of bands that my son really wanted me to go see, uh, and I just I, I just couldn't get over there to see all of them. But Sunday, we were very, very excited to see Kamasi Washington and J-Rad. Um, j was going to be coming out doing a two-set show. Uh, Kamasi was all set, and when we got there, uh, and uh, the band Dawes was playing. I wasn't as familiar with Dawes, but we hung out and listened to them. And as they finished, and we were hanging out waiting for the next band to come on stage, there was some lightning and very, very light rain, and they cleared the area. So we had a basically walk out of the main area, still within the, the perimeter of, of where they took your tickets and everything. And then after about an hour, they kind of gave the all clear, and we all walked back in, and we were all basically going over and settling in, uh, I think, for Kamasi's set. And off in the distance, we saw more flashes of, of lightning and thought, oh, that's Far away that that can't make an, a, an issue here 10 minutes later we get the general announcement due to more lightning and and danger in the area uh we're, we're canceling the rest of the night and we're really sorry but safety first and have a safe drive home and they kicked us all out and we left so we didn't get to see kamasi we didn't get to see j rad uh we didn't get to see any of them and look i've never run a big festival rob i know you've had a little bit of experience working at some of these festivals but i can tell you this I have a cell phone and every other person out there does too. So we instantly have our own weather radar and you could see this storm was going right by us. You could look up in the sky and see the clouds going away. And I'm not gonna sit here and diss Live Nation or whoever it was that sponsored this thing. But I will say, I think they could have held out a little bit longer and let us get our JRAD set in, Uh, but we didn't. But JRAD being who they are, Uh, on Monday they immediately announced that they're going to do three full shows here in Chicago the first weekend in December Uh, so now everybody's all excited at the uh, the Riviera nightclub so it's going to be a great place to go and catch a show and uh, very excited to see JRAD when they come back and do that so in summary I would say Sacred Rose well worth the price of admission I would gladly do it again next year um, and hopefully they can uh, get better cooperation from the weather so we can hear uh, the whole end of it. But uh, it was a great opportunity and a great experience, and um, was very happy to get to go, and you know, now feel like I have a basis to talk to my son and his friends on uh, some of these bands that I just never really spent a whole lot of time listening to.
1: I know you've had some experience with them, Rob.
0: Yeah, know I've seen a lot of those bands. I still haven't seen Goose, but uh, I've
1: seen Humphreys probably you know, 35, 40 times. Like there was a, a couple of years there where no matter where I was, Humphreys was there too. Uh, so I've seen them a, a ton of times. I've seen Bisco a ton of times. Uh, your buddy's absolutely right. Bisco's a lot better. You know, I'd say four or five in the morning than they are. You know, ten o'clock at night. Uh, you know, in the old days, Bisco like the, the, they wouldn't play a show unless they were playing late night. Their whole gig was you know let's make sure everyone's as high as they can possibly be when they come to see us. But I mean, they weren't the only ones that were kind of like that at the time. Like you know, STS Nine and the New Deal and a few other like sort of live Tronica bands were were sort of uh, going after the same vibe. And you know, all of them were like, no, I want to go on last. No, I want to go on last. You know, so like when they're booking festival slots there, looking for the late-night uh, tents. But, you know, that's that's great. You saw some uh, you saw some really fun ones this weekend. Yeah, we did, and, and missed some, too. STS 9
0: was opposite Goose, so we, we missed STS 9. And then late night, Sunday night, even after j Red and I, I won't say it right so everybody knows I'm an old fart, Krungabin, or Kr- how do you pronounce it. Um, Krungabin, I don't know. At any rate, they were coming on to play the late-night set, and my son's buddies who were there were saying, these are the guys you really need to see. Uh, but unfortunately that set got canceled too. Um, but yeah, you know what? It, it, I hear about these bands forever. It's great to finally go see them, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to see any of them again if they come through. It, it, was, uh, it was a great, uh, you know, quick little sampler of, of uh, wonderful jam
1: bands. Oh, nice. Well, I think all those bands still have the, uh, the Grateful Dead to thank, and it was really nice to see Sacred Rose paying homage to the dead with a handful of different collabs, whether it was J-Rad or it was Philco or with other bands that have, uh, you know, either covered dead tunes or played dead tunes. But I mean, what, what a great lineup. Uh, it sounds like a really fun time, but, um, jumping back into park West, man. Uh, there's one thing that, uh, that Larry said to us earlier that, that I thought was funny, which is that at the park West show, you know, they made t-shirts for the us with Night in Utah part of it. But, uh, but, you know, you gotta remember that, you know, there's some other times that like, um, uh, States or cities are named in songs, you know, you always expect that they're going to play that song the way they played "Front of the Devil at Park West. And one of the things I think that's really interesting about this show is that the Park West show was one day before Three Night Red Rocks run, and it was uh, then after that they went down to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and randomly enough they decided to play a China Rider at Park West, uh, and they play a China Rider at the Downs of Santa Fe, and they shy the Red Rocks crowd, from getting their uh, I Wish I Was a Headlight on Northbound train part, so you know, kind of surprised that that, that that happened, but I think we've got a little bit of the uh, the China captain. I think we've also got a little bit of the rider that we can cue up uh, if, if we all listen to those now. While we'll, while we wait for uh, for Larry to join us back in the studio. At the peak of the crescendo, uh, you know, from the China into the rider, but uh, that's you know right at the point where, where Garcia usually drops the uh, the most fun licks before it really starts to lay down before it goes into the rider. But uh, but in '83, you know, if anyone gets a chance, go back and listen to a lot of the summer of '83 China riders, and uh, and they are hot. And I'd say the uh, the nine ten nine ten eighty three from the down to Santa Fe might even be a hotter one just because it was uh, played at such blistering speed. But this one's a great one. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the whole thing, there. I did. It, this, I mean, it sounds great. China Rider is going to
0: always be awesome, and you're right. You know, when Jerry, you can always tell when Jerry's in a good mood. China Rider is a great song to gauge that. Uh, a great set of songs to gauge. You know exactly where he's at, and if he's ripping on the northbound train line, uh, you know if he's ripping in the uh, the, the verses of uh, China Cat. Um, you know, and and I think it's no surprise. I mean, those that combination of songs dates back. You know to their very beginnings, uh, it was the first you know real combination, right? Scarlet wasn't, didn't come along till 74 75, fire till 77 or 78. Franklin's uh, help slip Frank came around in 75 76. Um, so you know, uh, it, it, when, whenever I hear China cats Sunflower, and, and I, I know your rider was being played by them even earlier than that, you know, whenever I would get to the point where I thought maybe I've heard this too many times, I'm like. If Jerry's still happy playing this song 25 years later, man, who am I to, you know, to not want to, you know, totally get up and dance to it? And it's uh, it's always fun. I love that combination.
1: Yeah, I've always had a theory when it comes to the uh, the north northbound train line, which is that I always think that it all depends on how Bobby sings the um, the song in a shine in my back door. So, you know, like, if, if he's singing that line and, and he's really belting it out, I think it kind of forces Garcia to uh, to really step up his, like... Prime example being um Alpine Valley 89, which to me is like the greatest, you know, sort of uh I know your rider right yells by Garcia. But a lot of that's predicated on like you know how Weir came to the table in the verse before. But uh but on this one, you know, it's uh in '83 Garcia was definitely belting the line out. There's some years where he, you know, it's kind of understated as he went into that line. But I think we've got a little bit of the clip, you know, from that section of it um from, from Park West. So I
2: I
0: wish I was a heading. I know found
2: shame. I shine my life to the cool Colorado rain.
1: That's what I mean by eighty-three chatter riders. Like, that rider is so much faster than you'd expect a rider to be, and it's it's sped up by by a considerable amount by comparison to, like, you know, the early 70s or even, like, you know, the mid-90s. But that is a – they're playing at a much, much different tempo in summer of 83. I think you're right, and I think that's an excellent comparison to
0: Alpine in 1989. Larry, you were at that 89 show at Alpine, weren't you?
2: Yep. East Coast is loud and fast. West Coast is not as loud and fast. That's the difference.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We heard them. Yeah, I mean that that uh, eighty nine year at uh, that was that's the year from uh, they made the video downhill from here. Remember, we also got the uh, we bid you good night. Oh yeah, we're all in the video, right?
2: If you freeze frame it, and you're there with your St. Louis Michigan shirt, St. Louis hat, we're in like the fourth row.
0: Yes, yes. sir. Always wear that cardinal cap, right in the front row. I figured if I if I wore it enough, maybe the dead would eventually recognize me. Not. <laughs> It was always a good hat to where you get good comments from the crowd. The, the other one was really
2: good in the uh, Spanish jam at the, uh, the Utah show, too. Oh, yeah. And then the Labor Day night is the ridiculous thing.
1: So should we dive into some uh, some canvas stories uh, right now, man? Absolutely. Rob, what do we have on the marijuana front this week? Uh, a bunch of stuff. I mean, I think we can start with the fact that uh, the Biden administration still refuses to say what they're going to do as far as their uh, their go forward plan with legalization, uh, despite the fact that, you know, they made a handful of uh, promises during the campaign that they're going to make proactive moves. But now they're actually being held to account. And the uh, the word back from the White House, they're saying we're not even going to give you guidance on, uh, on what to expect, which is disappointing.
0: But not surprising, right? I mean, you know, we've already seen that, that Biden, notwithstanding any comments he might have made, you know, after he's elected, he then says, right, his nobody in his uh, administration who works in the White House or anything, everybody's, everybody's got to be tested, nobody with any marijuana use present or prior. He's no fan of marijuana. And he may very well not ultimately be the guy to do it. You know, a, a, it would be nice. I think it would give him a, 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 another really good shot in the arm, at, which at this stage of the game... Uh, you know, can only be a benefit for him. But, you know, as we've discussed in the past, you know, trying to get through the Senate is like, you know, herding cats. It's, it's, it's an impossibility to some degree. And, you know, the, the good news for Biden, I guess, is he's not faced with the issue of whether or not he has to sign it because it's never going to get to him. You know, and, and I think that with everything else that's going on right now in, in, in the country and, and, and all the other issues that are there, my sense is he probably doesn't want to have to spend a
1: lot of political capital on something like this. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, but uh, but another thing came out this week that you know Gallup released their latest poll as far as like what sentiment is right now in the country, and cannabis is experiencing its all time you know high as far as popularity uh, nationwide. You know, up like twelve percent from uh, from where it's been previously with uh, respect to not medicinal but adult use um, uh, cannabis. So at a certain point. You, know, you have to kind of realize that this is a winning political issue. You know, if you've got the midterms coming up, there's a lot of people talking right now, like this is a stroke of the pen issue where they can go, Okay, we're we're gonna fix you know a lot of these things and we're gonna do it, you know, just prior to midterms, you'd think it'd be very politically popular for Biden come out with guidance saying, OK, you know, we are going to do this, stay the course of the Dems and we're going to get this done even if it's not right before the midterms, but promising it will be done right after. Like vote for us and, and this gets done. Vote for the other guys and it won't. You know, I don't know why they're not using it to their advantage right now when um, when I think that the Dems now are getting probably almost as bad a rap as the Republicans are with respect to cannabis policy.
0: I don't think you're wrong. The problem, though, is that there was a Republican plan put forward. Right. And, and the Democrats pushed back on that. Now, whether the Democrats' plan was really better, whether it was first in time, whether it just becomes a matter of who's going to ultimately get credit for doing it, you know, I I just don't know that without having a sufficient majority to pass their legislation, that they're going to be able to get around any, you know, threatened Republican filibuster, which I imagine Mitch McConnell will do, you know, to the extent he believes that passing this act will give Biden you know, a, a boost in the polls heading into the midterms, right? They're not about to let the Democrats get a big victory uh, this close to the election. And, and, but the truth is, you know, that I suspect that after the election, regardless of the results, you know, I, I don't imagine that Mitch McConnell will be that at that point, any more uh, anxious or ready or willing to, to pass a national cannabis law. And I think that ultimately is going to have to come from the Democrats and they're going to have to find those Republican uh, Congress people who come from Red states that have marijuana laws, and as we've discussed on this show, Rob, there's
1: quite a few of them. Yeah, but, but but here's my rebuttal to that. I mean, if I were Biden right now, I'd be going out there saying I'm going to put a comprehensive plan forward, and you don't have to discuss what McConnell's going to do. The rank and file voter isn't necessarily as in tune to these things as we are. And if you say, like, look, we're going to we're going to do a wholesale overhaul of uh, of cannabis policy. This is what I'm putting forward. I'm fully supportive of it. We're going to put put this in front of the Senate for a vote. We're going to get it to my desk. And then if it's kiboshed by the Republicans, like, let them have the fallout, right? Let, let them have the, uh, the, the voters going, wait a second, the Dems actually did try to legalize it. Even if he knows there's no chance it gets through the Senate, even if Biden's you know, 100% certain, at least he then forces the issue and says, hey, it's not us, it's those guys. And if you really want to see you know um, progressive campus policy, then uh, th- then vote blue. And that's where I'm you know very surprised going into the midterms and kind of like a must-win election where right now it was supposed to be a blowout. is now looking like it won't be a red wave. It might be you know, a red ripple. But you know they could actually probably even you know stave that off by just one or two other things. I mean, right now they've they've got a tremendous amount of um of of new voter registration coming from women that you know are, are supportive of Dems right now. The Dems actually have a real chance, and Kam's policy could actually you know put them over the edge. If not, then uh then, then they're facing you know a, a much more difficult road. And then the the policy is obstruction, which was the Dems' policy to to Trump as well, and so, you know it's, it's been the mantra of anyone on the other side of the aisle. But here's a chance to really use a um uh. A popular issue to your advantage. I mean, that same Gallup poll reported that uh, more Americans now consume cannabis, smoke cannabis, than smoke cigarettes. That that's crazy. I mean, we've never seen that before. I think it was sixteen percent to fifteen percent, you know, of, uh, of uh, cannabis use versus cigarette use. or at least people, you know, admitting to it? So that's a that's a pretty big sea change in, in what's happened. In, you know, called the last fifteen years or so. So this is no longer politically divisive. You know, it's. Uh, when, 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 when canvas like openly admitting the canvas use is more popular than admitting to cigarette use, that's a big change in our country.
0: I think it is a big change. I think you're absolutely right, and I think that the popularity among the the, the people has always been there. Um, and it's really a question of which politician is going to have the backbone to really reach out and touch the third rail. It's not such a hot third rail anymore because you're right. We're seeing studies and polls one after another that really speak to the growing popularity. But I think it's still hard for a national politician. To, to be the one to formally take that step. Um, and I, I have no doubt that you know Biden and his administration are probably hoping that if it gets done, it gets done by way of a bill introduced by Schumer and that kind of thing. It, it, it clearly has political positive value for the Democrats and is clearly something that I would like to see him address and, uh, and, and be able to stand behind. And it would be a great thing uh, to be able to use to run uh, on a, as a basis for him in running a, in, uh, for reelection or whatever he chooses to do. And for the senators and, and uh, Congress people, the Democrats who, who may need a boost at the midterms. But at the end of the day, again, I just come back to, at least for uh, Joe Biden, it's not a priority. Uh, and he's kind of made that clear. Um, and it is disappointing because it was part of his campaign promise. But I think he bets that people are willing to give him a pass on that, as he tries, you know, to contain Donald Trump and you know, and all of this other mayhem uh,
1: that's going on that that he has to handle and deal with. Yeah, it's it's definitely possible. But every time Gallup or, or one of the major um, polling agencies comes out with a new poll and gives you time to to absorb the data and, and kind of think about it from a political standpoint of you know what does it mean versus the uh, the, the sentiment uh, among the populace. You know, I know politicians watch you know polling. than anyone and when they see that something's popular oftentimes they'll change their policy or change their platform in order to uh conform with with the wish of the voters or to say you know hey i'm i'm in touch or i'm in tune with what the uh the the sentiment is uh among my constituency and that's just you know in in this case i I feel like it's relatively tone deaf based on what we're seeing from the uh the polls coming out well
0: that's true and here's the bigger problem some people look at those numbers and they say aha you always told me that anytime there was a program uh, a legal program in a state." that uh, teenage smoking went down. And here it's saying that teenage smoking is going up. So my first comment is, look, it's, a, it's an age range, I think they said, of 19 to 29. So yes, there is one year of teenage teenager in there. I don't disagree. But here's the thing. If they're smoking marijuana they're not smoking cigarettes right we've seen the cigarette smoking go down if they're smoking marijuana they're not drinking we're seeing the drinking numbers for teenagers going down nobody says the world is a perfect place and nobody says that the goal is to take it to a perfect place but if you want to accept the fact that as between alcohol and marijuana one is a game of russian roulette and the other one isn't and that's just a fact that's not an opinion that's just a simple fact then to me You know, I I see this as a huge, huge win already. You know, if marijuana numbers going up means that people are smoking less, that people are uh, smoking cigarettes less, drinking alcohol less, uh, doing pharmaceutical drugs less. Great. You know, let's have a world of stoners then instead of a world of crazy people who are drinking and doing all that other stuff. And so I I see that very much as a positive, uh, even though I I know and suspect that uh, people who are anti-marijuana, you know, see that as proving their point that once marijuana is legalized, uh, it makes it easier for young people to access it.
1: Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And I think that, you know, that was part of the polling as well as what's happening with other substance and what's happening with substance abuse. and. Look, I mean, I, th- I think we're all watching it, you know, carefully to make sure that um, that use doesn't go up to the point where there's you know any sort of harm that's attributed as well. So I think everyone's watching the studies right now, and some of the studies that came out are suggesting that, you know, there are new potential links to uh, to other issues that uh, relate to cannabis use, especially with like higher THC cannabis use. So again, I'm, I haven't checked to see who um, who actually paid for the study yet, and you know who it is is trying to push a narrative, but you know, worth looking into and definitely worth you know trying to figure out whether or not to. Uh, Something I we've been pushing for for a long time might have other effects, but you know, to me, anytime it, it decreases alcohol use, better off we are. Yeah, I mean, I'd much rather, I'd much rather people, even if they're abusing one or the other, abuse cannabis than than abuse alcohol. So, I, I'm quite certain, just based on anecdotal evidence I've seen for the last forty years, that uh, that one is significantly better than the other. Really quickly at the beginning of the show. Uh, we
0: gave a quick shout out to Conscience Alliance. I know it's a group that you've sat on the board of directors for a number of years. I just happened to throw on one of their shirts today uh, that I received when I was uh, uh, had the ability to, to uh, visit their headquarters out in just outside of Boulder a few weeks ago when I was out there to see Tedeschi Trucks. And I believe uh, the guy's name is Justin, who, who uh, spoke to our group of friends and kind of took us around. And... Um, you know, I think of them as this really cool group that that gets food for people by exchanging amazing poster artwork of, of various performers. Uh, but
1: you know them, you know, from the inside out, Rob, what can you tell us about them? The Conscious is a great organization. I mean, anyone that's out there listening to this, I, I highly recommend you, you know, if you're going to find a, something to donate to this year, donate to these guys. You know, they've been uh, feeding people for, uh, I think, going on 15 plus years now. Uh, it's a great team based in uh, Broomfield, Colorado. You know, kind of a whole Boulder, Colorado crew. But essentially, they're at you know tons of shows. You guys are, are out there. I'm sure everyone's seen the Conscious Alliance tables at uh, at different um, festivals. Uh, you always got the, the, the chance to walk over and buy a, a poster from that show. And any money that you put into that goes directly to feeding people. Uh, oftentimes, they've got a canned food drive that happens at shows. But you know, we've got a massive warehouse that sits in Broomfield, Colorado, and that food goes all over the world, depending on where on where it's needed most. Spent a lot of time working with the um, the, uh, the Sioux tribe at the the Pine Valley Reservation in South Dakota. So we've just had a great relationship with the tribe and tried to make sure that, you know, one of the unfortunately one of the more destitute you know tribal lands, you know, out there that they've got the ability to to feed people. You know, if, if the government's not gonna do it, then you know hopefully people in the Jamban community will and, and we have for for many years. So hats off to Justin and the entire Conscious Lions team for everything they do. Please do look it up online. Uh, it is a five hundred one c three nonprofit, so your your deductions or your excuse me your donations are fully tax deductible. But just a, a great team with a great cause. I mean, ne- next to you know Headcount and some other ones, I'm a big fan of as well. You know, Conscious does as cool work as you're going to see anyone in the JMBN community do.
0: Well, what was so cool was the the picture that Justin has hanging in there. Uh, It looks like it's at Red Rocks and you can see people uh, in line forever stretching. And I was like, what are these people waiting to get into the show? He says, no, no, no. These are people waiting, you know, to give us to give their cans for our food drive. And I said, wouldn't it make more sense to have lots of receptacles scattered around the ground so people could just drop off their cans? He said, no, you don't understand when they bring their cans in exchange for the cans, we give them posters and so I said, so, he, so he said, you literally have people lining up at the show after they've had a line up. He goes, oh yeah, sometimes the, the line takes an hour, but people will wait in line to give us their cans of food so that they can get whatever the next poster is. And I gotta tell you, that's such a genius idea. It's amazing that nobody had ever thought of it before. I mean, all, all people wanna do these days is get posters of the shows they were at. And if you're telling me that if I bring three or four cans of food or some boxes of dry p- food or, or whatever I bring, I'm going to get
1: a poster of the night's event. I'm in on that. Yeah, if, if you look at who's actually on the board of directors of this team and the advisory board, I technically I said in the advisory board. It's the um, it, it's so many like who's who of uh, of rock and roll. You got Don Strasberg, who's the head of AEG Live in the Rocky Mountain region. You have got Mike Luba, who founded Madison House. You have got um, Peter Olivio, who is uh, best known as Panic's uh, attorney. You've got uh, guys I used to work with, Scotty Nichols over at Town Square Experiential, and my buddy Chewy Smith, who um, you, know, you know from being on the show, and Nate Pranger, who was one of the original founders of Wakarusa Festival. I mean, just such great people in the, can- in, in the, um, the jam band scene that are all 100% on board this organization and support this organization. So, you know, again, if you're if you're into, like, the, the music scene and you're looking for something to get behind that's, you know, made up of people that are from this community that, you know, are supporting people outside of this community, huge plug to Conscious Alliance today and uh, keep doing what you guys are doing, Justin Levy and, and team. Absolutely.
0: Uh, And I would just give a shout out again to Justin and thank him and his whole team for how hospitable they were to our group a few weeks ago. And a shout out that is certainly due to my good buddy Mike's girlfriend, Lynn. She of the one armed Larry fame, who, uh, in fact, organized this whole get together for us knowing that we were all going to be out in Boulder uh, and made the phone calls to set it up. And so uh, we all got a very, very good positive experience out of that. So shout out to Lynn. Thank you as well. What else do we have from our uh, Park West show?
1: I think just a couple of things. Uh, you know, one is it was Labor Day weekend in 1983. that They had the show, and I think you know if, if Larry's back available, I know he's been sort of uh, bouncing in and out when he's able to join us. But you know, he could probably tell the story best. But uh, the uh, the show was on a um, was on a, a Sunday, so you know normally you wouldn't expect to hear a one a one more Saturday night on a Sunday. But I mean, Larry, if you can hear, maybe you tell the story about this one because it's kind of random that they played it on a Sunday night and and why they played it on a Sunday night.
2: We all looked at each other. No one really could figure it out. It was all Bobby. He went into it. We're like, OK. And Jerry was singing Saturday night, but it was Sunday. We're like, OK, they don't know. But then, and then Bobby started singing one more Labor Day. And then he went to Labor Day. And then it kind of ended. Everyone just looked at each other like, what the hell? But, you know, it's the one thing everyone always remembers like, oh, yeah, one more Labor Day night, Labor Day night. Or whatever. And then the encore was something right like room. who cares? What was the encore, layer?
0: I can tell you right now. The encore was U.S. Blues. But I think we have a clip of that too. Dan, can you run that clip of the one, uh, one more Saturday night? Drinking can swim, you up be in the heaven alone or something my shine in across the heaven, paint it black and white, get prepared. Gonna be a party tonight cuz it's labor
2: day night. uh
0: Bobby, just having some fun, huh, Larry? Yeah, yeah totally. So but you got to go with Labrador.
2: You. When you get to Labrador, it's later after
0: that. Okay, but if, so people go building, listen to yeah, it. I but like I guess it's one of those occasions of the dead being aware, but in their own strange little way, right? It was like, I've told the story about the 1984 Red Rocks when the first night they played U.S. Blues for the Encore. And then the third night, Bobby gets up to the microphone and says, I'm sorry for everyone who was here on Friday night, But today is, you know, 100, 200 years ago today, the U.S. approved the Stars and Stripes as our national flag. And boom, they jumped into it again. And it's like, I'm glad you thought of it then. But couldn't you have thought of it two nights before? It's like the China Rider, you know. You you just never know with them. But, you know, that's a clever little thing, right? It's like you were there. Weren't you there the year um, for April Fool's? They all came out and did Alabama Getaway playing different instruments?
2: No, I missed that. I was not at that one. You missed Mm.
0: that one? But I do remember hearing that one too and, and I see that and I'm like it makes me it always makes me feel good that at least some of the time they knew what was going on. Not all of the time, but you know, that's okay, I guess. They they, just, they, they do a good job of whatever they do.
2: That they do. I was at the Marin April School. That was pretty good. I actually saw okay, so at that Marin show, this is the craziest thing. I'm waiting in line to get my ticket and I hear this amazing like music classical kind of thing being played. And I walk around the Marin Center and I sit down next to this guy who's playing cello. And I was like, oh, my God, you are really good. You You must be classically. It turned out it was Yo-Yo Ma just sitting on a bench playing cello. And he's like a deadhead. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, yeah. So years later, I saw him on TV. I was like, oh, my God, that's him. I was like, I can't believe I was telling Yo-Yo Ma what a great bass cello player is and how much training he must have had in lessons.
0: Oh, my God. I love that he's a deadhead. You know, um, Jerry – would have turned 80 this year. So all these magazines are all coming out again with their, you know, Jerry covers and all these stories. And one of them, I forget which one, maybe it was Life magazine one or one of them. And they have a whole they have little uh short stories by various people who are deadheads. So, you know, Senator Leahy and, you know, other big shots like that. And then they have one by Ann Coulter, who talks about how much, you know, she grew up loving to be a deadhead and it was a real stoner and you know, was the one in her college group that was always, you know, the most out there with all of this stuff and on and on and on. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't know very many deadheads, you know, that would be particularly interested in spending a lot of time with Ann Coulter. But, you know, it just goes to show there's always that side of people. And you know what? If she loves the Grateful Dead, God love her. You know, she's entitled to be inspired by them as much as anybody.
1: Just makes me wonder whether or not she's she's listening to the message of the songs. You know, it's uh, sometimes uh, you know, there, there's bands, it's, it's sort of like um, – Paul Ryan saying he's a big fan of Rage Against the Machine, and Rage Against the Machine came back and said, no, man, you don't get it. You're the machine we're raging against. <laughs> right. <laughs> you
0: know? Right. Well, yeah, sometimes they they conveniently forget the lyrics or, you know, whatever they have to do for that kind of stuff. Um, what else we got, Rob? I think we've covered just about everything today, man.
1: Yeah, we've gotten through and it. It's been great having Larry on the show with us, you know. So, if, if, again, it's... it's I'm gonna put it out there, Larry, that you don't know this, but Alex Wellens to me is an apparition. Everyone tells me he exists, but I don't think he does. So I've met his wife. I've m- I've met a lot of people that claim to know the guy, but uh, but you know, Alex, if you Alex, if you're listening, at some point you gotta prove that you know you're actually that you're real, because uh, that's still you know.
2: He he is not Kaiser so say. but I thought you had him on already, Larry. Didn't you?
1: We had him on before Rob was a host. It was
0: with my the original host, Jim Marty. We had him on once. And uh, yeah, so and, but when we were all in San Diego in February, uh, we were all standing. Rob was kind enough to drive over to the hotel we were at and come by and visit for a little while. And we were all up on the roof on the roof deck hanging out, except Alex, who had decided to take a nap. So Andy was trying to explain that no, he he's not he's not ducking you, Rob. He just was really tired and needed to take a nap. So, right,
1: right, take a nap, Larry. Right,
2: okay. I got I got one other story. Well, I have a bunch of stories, but all right, so. One last one. Okay, so Clapton doing his, um, you know, acoustic gigs with a, the, the slow Layla or whatever. And I go to take a leak in the bathroom and at the Fillmore. And Jerry's standing next to the towel rack smoking a cigarette, right? I look over and I'm like, fuck, that's Jerry Garcia. So I thought, am I cutting him off at the toilet? I'm like, Jerry, do you need to pee? And they have the long trough thing at the Fillmore where you just all pee. He's like, oh, no, man, go ahead, go ahead. So I turn around, he's still there, and I started talking to him. So anyhow, it was like, okay, the first thing, I tried telling him about a Greek theater show where, like, his voice was the best ever. Like, he, he played Comes the Time, he took both hands off the guitar, he's holding the mic and singing. It was, like, a beautiful thing. He's like, dude, I don't remember that. Like, crazy, totally. And then I started telling him about the Garden Show, where uh, Hall and Oates are playing, and um, with them, and Dan Healy like mixed in. I don't know if it was Hall or Oates, the Bond guy mixed him into the mix. Didn't like the way it sounded. Mixed him out and then he's screaming in the mic and no one could hear him the whole thing and what how, how much is a deadhead I love Dan Healy for that. And he just looked at me he's like that's why I'm so happy we fired that cantankerous asshole. He shouldn't do stuff like that. That's not his choice. And so then, so then he diss he dissed me. He dissed Dan Healy. He, he and we started talking about the Clapton show. And he, he's like, you know, he's it's good and all, but I've seen the original blues guys play all these songs at this venue. <laughs> so, and it's not as good as that. So then he just air clapped and, and then, and like other people trying to shout stuff at him and he's just paying attention to me, not the other people yet. <laughs> and so then the fourth person he dissed was, uh, oh, my friends had all seen the, the whole dead went the, w- at, um. The Stones were playing at um, at the uh, baseball arena in Oakland, right? And all of them were there. I was like, exactly. I can't remember which keyboard player they had at the time. <laughs> but it was him, Bobby, Phil, Jerry. They're all sitting together up front. I was like, yeah, I heard you just saw the Stones at all. He's like, yeah, you know. I was like, what do you think? He's like, well, you know, it really rocked when Mick Taylor was in the band. He's like, that Ronnie Wood? Like, he looks good and all. But he's he's not really a player like Mick Taylor. I was like, oh my God, it was so fucking crazy. And then some guys are Jerry, it's so fitting you're addressing us from the shitter at the throne here. And he just looked at me like, I should go, right? And I was like, I'm amazed you stayed this long, and he walked out.
1: In his defense, the Stones have dissed him a bunch of times. Like, you know, Keith Richards has certainly dissed him and like, talked about the early days when he's talking about Altamont, and he's like, you know, did you get to see the Grateful Dead set and uh, and Keith is like, Yeah, you know, Jerry didn't really have much going on back then. He's like, You know, no offense, Jerry, you know, you got you got better later, but he wasn't it wasn't all that exciting in sixty
2: nine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Sorry. And it was after that year. Remember that year at the Greek when the big black bag chased him off the stay? I remember like it was like a long garbage bag you fill up with air and it used to heat and it would float it was like a big kite and someone right, right. blew one up and they threw it towards the stage and it like chased him down thing right. yeah and he like did this That's feeble 100%. kick to go away. I think I talked to him about that too he, he didn't remember shit about that
0: <laughs> but when I was at Alpine for um, fish a few weeks ago it just brought somebody was about what a big stage it is and they don't use all the stage I'm like dude you weren't there in 1988, you know, for the Thursday night final show of the four nights set when they played the morning dew of all time. And some deadhead climbed up on the stage and was standing there staring at Jerry, just like in awe. And Jerry just never missed a beat, just sat there and kept playing. Eventually, somebody from backstage came out, put their arm around the guy and took him off the stage. But I've told that story a thousand times. I'm sure I know all the listeners know, but that's OK, because it's a great story. And, you know, let's talk about having a stage presence. I mean, he was yeah, he was the man he was the man
2: yeah remember when the clap showed up in the do i remember that was a sad day everyone clapping like it used to get quiet and pretty and then all of a sudden people started clapping like the
1: 91887 slow clap
2: oh is that when it showed up you know the exact date of it
1: actually yeah i know Like one of the most obvious uh, examples of that from you know listening to the audience tape of 91887 where the
2: whole msg is just doing the wow rob i'm impressed yeah yeah I was gonna make shirts. Get the clap. But get the get the clap out of the do. Was I wanted to make t-shirts?
0: This guy knows it all. He he's he's more of a Dead nerd than you or me combined. He's he's got it all. And he started seeing him much later than us, and still crashed right
1: through the two hundred barrier. So, in, in, including Garcia bands, but not not just Grateful Dead. Yeah.
2: Uh, I think I think I saw fifty Garcia band, three fifty yeah, six. And you're still
1: two, you're still two x me, but I started in eighty eight. Yeah,
2: my first show was seventy nine. It was a, it was Jerry coming out of a coma, and it was the night after St. Stephen the Dark Star at Nassau. It was the second Nassau show.
1: Nice. And we won't
0: talk about the eighty three dark uh, the eighty three St. Stephen because I like it too much. So, <laughs> but instead, no. Uh, but to, before we close out here, just a couple of very quick shout outs. Um, I have to give a shout out to my new best friend Jenny, who I met at. Um, Sacred Rose over the weekend, and we were talking on Sunday while all this stuff was going down and uh, everything was happening all around us. And it just goes to show that there's always good fans out there everywhere. And Jenny, if you're listening, thanks for taking the time to chat with me, and I hope you enjoyed the weekend. And a quick shout out to my good buddy Larry Van Oker, who's on the show today, because it will be Larry's birthday uh, just a couple of days after this show airs. And uh, what is it, Larry, 40 this year?
2: Oh, yeah, sure. 60, 60. Am I 61 or am I 62? That's a good question. I'm turning 61. 61.
0: There you go. The fact that there's even confusion just feeds into the legend. So. Um, that's right. But just a couple of days from now, we got my, my, uh, my good friend, Lisa Gilchrist, uh, uh, an old, still a deadhead, I'm sure. But a friend from back in the day who we used to go to a lot of shows with, uh, we all had a very special night one night in, uh, Indy after Deer Creek, uh, involving Larry in a bed and, uh, some liquid psychedelics and, uh, uh, quite a fun evening it was, but we'll save that story for another time. Maybe if we get Larry Rader on the show and we can do our Lair, Lair and Larry show. Oh, I was,
2: I was covered in stickers at that show. I came home the next morning and woke up all my clothes, like the cop car in Boise. I was covered in stickers after that show. You were covered in stickers.
0: That happens. Uh, Well, have a great birthday, Larry. And um, thank you so much for joining us, man. It was great to have you. Thanks for everything you can add.
2: Thank you. You too, Larry. Thanks. Appreciate
1: Um, it. Rob, any last words? I got nothing, man. We'll see you next week. Larry, great to meet you. Thanks for coming on. And uh, we'll see you guys all next week. Thanks so much for listening. Okay. Thank you all. And uh, everybody have a great week. Stay safe.
0: Enjoy uh, one final tune from the Grateful Dead uh, from uh, Park West in uh, uh, September 4th, 1983. And enjoy your cannabis responsibly. Thank you all and goodbye.